name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Humphrey Rabbit OCs. This is a podcast where a friend and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. And today, our guest is returning guest, Brendan. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great, Christina. How about yourself? Uh, let's just say that I'm very glad that tomorrow is Friday. <laughs> Same. Because <laughs> we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, and also, uh, I would like to formally congratulate you for being the guest on episode 69. Nice, 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 nice. Future Christina put a ham horn in here or something. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're not here to talk about what kind of days of the week it is or what 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 our lives are like right now. We're here to talk about fictional characters and specifically your fictional character, Brendan. So, who are we talking about? Today we will be discussing Roger Chaumet, also known as Contract Writer Lux, from my Common Writer tabletop game. Okay, I'm putting this down on a post-it note next to me with a fancy accent over the E in Roger. Yeah, he's he's very French. Okay, okay. It's it was a it's a very romance language pronunciation, so duly noted. Yeah, um, his nickname is Raj, though, so. <laughs> nice. Well, only one other character calls him that, and that's the character who's Irish, so. I mean, as long as he's got, like, as long as there's someone who's calling him a nickname, and it's not, like, the nickname he's trying to give himself, we're good. Uh, no, uh, but he also does answer to uh, that fancy git over there, and uh, <laughs> the pompous little lad. <laughs> that's That's very good. So Roger is basically the more I've played him, the more I realize that he is what happens when you take like Prince Zuko and Draco Malfoy and kind of put them in a cocktail shaker and strain out <laughs> all of the strain out everything into like a very pretty margarita glass. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Real real quick before we get into um Roger as a character, could we kind of take a quick pass through, like, Common Rider as kind of, like, a property, and specifically, like, what are what are the basics of the tabletop system that you're using? Oh, like, just, okay. just a quick, like, a quick brief for people like me who are <laughs> not versed in Common Rider. So, Common Rider uh, was created in 1973 by, um, Toei Production Studios and a man named Shotaro Ishinomori. He's the mm-hmm. same guy who created Super Sentai, actually. So Kamen Rider is a cousin to Power Rangers. Okay, okay. That tracks. And the big thing is it's usually two, maybe three or more. It you know, it varies over the years. But it's a smaller group of heroes. They have belts that let them transform to uh, okay, kick okay. monsters. Okay. That is, uh, that, that's, that all tracks with what I have vaguely seen across my timeline and dashboard and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a lot okay. of fun, really. Oh, I, I believe it. I, I feel like the, the, the thing that is maybe a hallmark of, like, Japanese television shows and properties a lot of the time is that they're just trying to have fun, mm-hmm. whereas in uh, 
Whereas in some other TV shows, I don't have to name one. I'm sure that you all are thinking of one that fits this description. They're just kind of there to just like be be gritty and sad and have feelings. And sometimes you you punch people. <laughs> I mean, Common Rider does indulge in that. Yeah, but there there's not like you're not going to get like dramatic and like appropriately timed explosions happening like Friday Night Lights or something. Depending on what show it is, it, it actually might happen. Oh, okay. Okay. So all of the hmm. series are, they are separate from each other. Um, with like a few exceptions, like the ones in the seventies all take place in the same universe. And there was like a block of shows from like in the early 2010s that all kind of slot together pretty neatly. But, okay. but other than that, they kind of all do their own thing and they all have their own like storytelling tones and some of them are even, like, takes on specific types of genre fiction. Or, okay. like, um, Common Writer Double is, like, a love letter to noir detective uh, stuff. But also, uh, there's a funny bug man who does karate. You know what? I like that. I think <laughs> I would have fun watching that. <laughs> it's really, really great. So, like I said, depending on what show you're watching, you're going to get different levels of, you know, goofy fun times to mm -hmm. stuff that is more willing to gaze at your navel and contemplate. Uh, like, Common Rider O's is all about the nature of human desire. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and it, it you still have a rubber suit monster terrorizing downtown Tokyo. Yeah, it just means that you take more time to, you know, stop and think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Exactly. <laughs> nice. And that's actually kind of what we wanted to do with our game. Yeah. Was look at um, the themes we ended up going with um, are very timely, uh, which is sort of a revolution theme. Oh. <laughs> Taking a system that has been in place for the last couple hundred years. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not working. Mm hmm. And then you find out the people in charge want to do some really, really bad stuff. And you go, you know what? We should be the ones to stop that. Mm-hmm. Which is great because all of our characters didn't even get along at first. Ooh, okay, okay. I like where this is going. Oh, and um, just a quick throwback. Our system is homebrewed. Oh, that's nice. The main thing we're using is called the Fate Ladder. Okay. So it... Uh, when you say you want to take an action, mm -hmm. uh, what you do is, if if we decide it's worth a roll as a group, because sometimes we'll just let stuff happen because it's cool or dramatically appropriate. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And so what you'll do is, it's four dice that, like, there's a possibility to get negative modifiers. It goes from, like, mm -hmm. negative four to ten or something like that. Okay, and then okay. you... Uh, pick a skill to roll on and they're all rated from like good to fair. Mm -hmm. Great, good to fair. And then you roll and you add that to whatever you get. And where you end up on the fate ladder is how he decides what you're trying to do, how it works out for you. Okay. Okay. So I just, I'm, I'm going to say this so that I can understand it. Correct. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the fate ladder is just kind of the, the way that you determine the concept, like how successful the action is, because it's varying degrees of like success or success or failure. Exactly. Okay. Okay. 
So like you can do fair, good, great, superb, mediocre, fumble, critical fumble. I forget what the negative ones are because they don't come up too much. Good. Glad to hear it. <laughs> well, the uh, he doesn't tend to make us roll for skills we're not great at, and I hope he doesn't uh, hear this and decide to do that. <laughs> well, I won't tell him about this if you don't. <laughs> also, I don't even know where to find this person, Jack. So, Yeah. The way that we all met each other, there are... Yeah. The, the way that you guys met, like people real people or the way that you met in character digitally like okay the, okay the way that we all got to know each other as human beings yes that's what i meant yeah um so we're all in a server for transformers mm-hmm. fandom actually nice nice and sometime along the way the off-topic channel kept bringing up like tokusatsu stuff so common writer super sentai related projects like Godzilla gets brought up a lot in there too since technically it is and who doesn't love a giant uh, rubber monster suit and yeah, same and uh, eventually the person who ended up being the GM was like I really want to run a tabletop based on Common Rider who's interested mm-hmm. and then the five of us ended up volunteering Ah, that's fun and the great part is one of our players umar is not actually wasn't a common writer fan when we started like they, yeah. they knew what was going on but uh-huh. uh now has watched a whole lot of it oh good because when you're around people who are in a fandom long enough it'll yeah. you either start to uh you start to you start to osmose the information yeah like you <laughs> It's like that, I think it's a gift from, like, Adventure Time or something. It's like, I have approximate knowledge of many things. Exactly. Or you're some, or you just like, I'm just going to watch this thing because my friends keep talking about it, and I want to know what they're talking about. Exactly. Uh, so our, it's also an international group, which is really fun. Nice. I bet that's a fun group. It really is. I've also gotten exposed to a lot of UK pop and Ireland pop culture through it. Just through memes. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet that's fun. But uh, when we were kind of deciding where we wanted to go with our uh, setting and themes, we ended mm-hmm. up settling on something pretty wild. Yeah. Setting wise. But for the themes, we wanted to explore some of the stuff that was analyzed in like old common writer so like 70s and early 2000s where it was a lot more like okay like one of the themes in common writer 73 is that the main character is forcibly turned into a cyborg by the evil organization and was going to be brainwashed to be their perfect evil super soldier but then he got unbrainwashed and decided to take down the whole evil organization Good for him. Good for him. And but there was a a minor body horror theme of how human are you really when you're you've got that much machine in you? Oh, it's the the what you call it, the Theseus's ship thing. Yeah, and that's a very 70s take on it, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um and then there are later writers like who like uh common writer Gills 
physically like mutates into his writer form. He doesn't actually like wear a suit. That's him. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And modern writers, that doesn't come up that much. You're just, okay. you've got a suit that's made out of like, you know, magic most of the times, or it yeah. doesn't, they don't really explain where the suit comes from. It's mm-hmm. just, you put on the belt, you, you put on the belt, you slap the collectible toy trinket in and uh, you say <laughs> henshin and there you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. So out of curiosity then is the, is your, is the common writer team? I I feel like they're supposed to have a theme. Is the theme then like mythological creatures or something? Or is it like, by what standard is a human measured? So the funny thing about themes is the setting we work in, we uh, operate in is cyberpunk based. Okay. Okay. So uh, to an extent, anyway, it is a post climate catastrophe dome city in Australia. Uh, okay. Okay, so it's Borinth. Yeah, the Dome okay. City of Borinth in Australia, <laughs> <laughs> the Dome City of Birth. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I was uh, I was like, where in Australia are we exactly? And we ended up placing it in Ad- around Adelaide, I think, just because that worked okay. with the geography we'd already established. Ah, gotcha. I know, I know that feeling very well. Well, the that's the great thing I love about it is a lot of the time when we look at this stuff, we we think like we're actually shooting a TV show. Oh, I bet that's fun. So, uh, like, we'll go, what filming location are we in? Because there's because, <laughs> you know, like any long running TV show, there's some that keep popping up. Like, are we in the warehouse? Are we at the docks? Are we at the plaza with the fountain? That's good. That's good. And we've even talked about stuff like, what would your character's merch line be like? Oh, that's a good question. Now, that's something that I'll be thinking of whenever <laughs> I'm next bored at work. And so the thing about Elysium City is it's, well, one, it's called Elysium because it's supposed to be, you know, mankind's paradise, the last mm-hmm. bastion of humanity against a climate ravaged world. Yeah, of course. And um, it's hyper capitalistic because, of course, it is. Also, of course. <laughs> And there's a, there is technically a government, but we haven't talked very much about it because one, that's boring, and two, it's cyberpunk. Of course, the corporations have more power. Yes. And so the way writers work in our setting is mm-hmm. you are not a common writer, you're a contract writer. Ah. Hashtag spawn. Exactly. So you are either okay, sponsored okay. by one of the big corpos or... You're an independent contractor who does freelance work for them. Interesting. Okay. So that was another thing we wanted to try and comment on early on was the gig economy structure, mm-hmm. uh, which pops up occasionally <laughs> with certain characters. But Fiverr Fiver for common writers. <laughs> and so that means, but every writer in the setting has a different theme. There's okay. no cohesive. Okay. Okay. So then uh, I feel like I have heard or seen or kind of just like assimilated what this answer is going to be. But what is Roger's theme then? His theme is luxury goods, particularly jewelry. Okay, okay. And his sponsor is Soleil d'Or Bijoutier, a 
luxury goods company. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Which, uh, you know, what do luxury goods look like in a, in a uh, setting where so much wealth is concentrated in such a small percentage? <laughs> Not like real life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wonk. But, but in such a small population setting, like you're dealing with some like hyper rich people. Yeah. And he is one of those hyper rich people. Ah, he is the 1%. He is, and that's where we get the Draco Malfoy and the yes, Zuko. Exactly. It all starts with being in an extreme position of privilege for him. Okay, okay. And he is not one of the writers who got there through. It's not any hard work on his part, it's sheer nepotism that got him the belt. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that, that tracks, that tracks logically. His mother, Marianne, is a high-ranking executive. I don't think I've ever actually decided what her position in the company is. She's just a big wig. Mm-hmm. She does business. She does business. Evil business. But don't tell Roger that. <laughs> uh, he was very much kept in the dark about all of the shady stuff that Soleil Dor gets up to. Mm-hmm. but he knows that other corporations do shady stuff, but not Salador, because they're better than that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine anyone doing a heresy when it's my mom and my mom's company. Exactly. And, like, his actual official position is he's a PR specialist, and his day okay, job... Okay, okay. His day job is that he's, an, he's a hashtag influencer. Interesting. Okay. In what kind of a platform? I'm assuming off-brand Instagram, or is it something else? It's literally just Instagram. Oh, okay. Of course, Instagram would survive through the apocalypse. Instagram has, Twitter has, Reddit has. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, most of the internet is the exact same as in the year 2021. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. uh, Which is, like... One of our other writers, uh, Papillon, she's a streamer. Nice. Who mostly nice. streams video games. Nice. But also streams monster fights. Ooh, as in like her, there was like a camera or like a GoPro or something like incorporated into her common rider suit? In her helmet, yep. So what she sees, the camera sees. Interesting, okay. And she has like a, uh, like a mod off site to keep the chat in check. And that character has a really fun gimmick called Twitch Plays Common Rider. Ooh. So she has, uh, like, eight alternate forms, and they're all, like, the colors of the rainbow and black. Uh-huh. And so what she'll do is when she's fighting a monster and she's on stream is it will be left to the will of the chat, like, vote for which form you want me to use. I, I like that idea, as terrified as I am for just, like, the concept of twitch plays when it's actually like affecting something happening in the real world instead of you know like let's check the helix fossil another four times yeah she has um she has streamer override authority her sponsors just don't like it if she doesn't play along most of the time ah gotcha okay interesting 
I, I'm going to be real here with you, Brendan. I, I enjoy hearing about this whole game. I just want to make sure that we are talking about Roger as much as you want to talk about Roger. Exactly. Yeah, I know. That was just an example. <laughs> I wanted to bring her up as an example of like the gimmicks and stuff that we collabed on. No, that, that's good. I just want to make sure that like you are getting to talk about him as much as you want to. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Thank you. So with Roger, what I wanted to do as a character was kind of I didn't I didn't mean to do a Zuko. I really <laughs> didn't. But you kinda can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you you've got a character who comes in with a very minimal personality set up and then they develop as part of the ongoing game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an ongoing joke, which is, uh, is Roger of Vriska, the longest uh, forum debate in the history of the internet, locked after 5,000 pages or something along those lines? So, I know that's a Homestuck reference. It's a Homestuck. That's it. Yeah, I... <laughs> a very divisive character who was in it, also started out as an antagonist, and eventually was... Not so much of a protagonist as an anti-villain. Okay, okay. Duly noted. And I will say no more than that because I didn't. I, I haven't read Homestuck in a very long time. Uh, <laughs> but namely, it's, you know, he's in a very privileged position. And uh, almost his entire monster fighting career was sort of set up. Yeah. So that he wasn't facing anything too big, but he could always end up looking like a hero because look how well the company's doing. Look at how well, look at our writer. Isn't he great? He, he takes yeah. out these geisters like they're made of nothing. Our monsters are called geisters. I haven't mentioned that. Nice, nice. <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me of an OC from, I think it was literally the second episode. Um, Melissa had Magna Man that she brought on and... Roger's whole thing reminds me of Magnum Man because they were both, you know, kind of people who were doing heroic things, but they were also very much so under the shadow and umbrella of a more powerful parent. And I dig that very much. Uh, And the reason I actually made Roger's mother an antagonist Yeah, yeah. It's an ongoing joke that Common Rider is about fighting your dad. There are a lot of villains who are fathers of the hero, fathers of Mm -hmm. uh, an antagonist, father Mm -hmm. figures. I mean, heck, even outside of common writers, like, Luke, I am your father. Exactly. Villainous parents are everywhere. But you rarely ever see villainous moms set against a male protagonist, and then that villain mom is treated as a serious threat. Mm Mm-hmm. And Marianne is one of the two faces of the bad guy organization. Ooh, okay. Okay, okay. Which is the... It, it, it's eventually revealed to us, and trust me, there was much screaming and keyboard flipping, uh, <laughs> when it was revealed that the main threat of our campaign is a organization called Golgum which is the bad guy group from Common Rider Black. Okay. And they are a evil cult type organization. Hmm. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of information on 
why Golgum is around in the year 2200, but it's not hard to believe that a doomsday slash human superiority cult would weasel its way underground and into what is supposed to be the last group of humans on the planet. Sad, but true. And their goal is to bring about what they're calling the Shin Anthropocene era and bring humanity into its next era of evolution by force. Oh my god. The Shin Anthropocene. That's so good. Isn't it? That's good. And uh, Roger was Marianne's, like, trump card, basically. Ooh, don't like that. He was groomed, basically, from the point he was born to be Golgum's perfect super soldier. Ooh. How's that working out for him? Well, he knows that, and he's not happy about it, and he's actively on the good guy side now. Good, good, good boy. (laughs) But before he could get there, before he could become the uh, research head of our burgeoning revolution, Mm -hmm. he was a very pretty boy who did very pretty boy things, like go to parties and post pictures on Instagram and fight monsters occasionally. But beyond that, he was very shallow. Okay. So what kind of then started Roger's like his his foyer not his foyer <laughs> his um what started his journeys his forays that's it um into like actual genuine heroics so it all started when Papillon who I mentioned before was mm-hmm. attacked by a caterpillar themed monster now the in- <laughs> The important thing to know about geisters is that they don't talk. They're mindless animals as far as anyone knows. They show up, they gurgle, and when you Mm -hmm. destroy them, they just kind of melt into foam. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Well, this one was talking, and it was blaming her personally for ruining its its life. Woof. And Papillon and Roger are friends. They are the only two. They were, she was the only character on the in the group who could stand him for a very long time because they've (laughs) known each other. And so he finds out that a monster is like talking. They're not supposed to do that. Yeah. And the thing about Roger is behind all of that very pretty face is a voraciously hungry mind that wants to know everything. Yeah. Which is delicious irony when you compare how much he's been kept in the dark about everything his whole life. (laughs) That, oh, yeah, that's very good. But, um, so I assume he would always have been, you know, distracted with, like, research topics that were acceptable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now he's like, I want to know, and I need to know. Yeah, he's like, why is this monster talking? That's not right. Mm-hmm. Let me investigate. And so he falls down a research hole. Yeah. And it turns out this monster... Used to be a writer. Ooh. And who was contracted to Soleil d'Or. Yes. And he was a failed streamer who blamed Papillon for usurping his audience. Oh, no, that's not good. And that's why he had a personal vendetta against her. So... And his his writer theme 
was Caterpillar. And so he's turned into a Caterpillar monster. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And so uh, Roger ends up uh, like talking to his mother about that. And she, in no uncertain terms, orders him to assassinate this guy. But he does not know he's being told to assassinate a person. He's being told to destroy a monster. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it's there's a difference between like, oh, this is you know the the monster of the week that we gotta that we gotta punch up, and I am asking you, I am putting out a contract on this person's life. <laughs> so he ends up fighting this monster, and he does. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done, and I am shocked that it worked. Yeah, yeah. So, Contract Rider Lux's main weapon is a rapier. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's he's a fancy French boy. Yeah. And this thing was charging at him. And I was like, you know what? Let's let it do the work. So I was like, hi, I would like to plant my feet, point my sword out, and brace for impact. <laughs> oh, no. So he ran into my knife ten times. Oh, no. But yeah, the... The, the caterpillar geister ends up running itself through, and it, like, pops, like they all do, but the person is still in the phone. Oof. And alive, delirious, extremely so, and wearing their rider belt. Oof. Which Oof. is covered in these weird, like, scary spikes. Okay, Interesting. And before Roger can ask too many questions, he doesn't go through with taking the hit out because he's he's defeated the monster. He's done what he's been told on the service to do. Unfortunately, all of the conditioning that he went through has left him with the unfortunate side effect of sometimes not exactly getting the subtext. Ah, uh, yes. You brainwashed him too well, Marianne. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also portray him, like, I am also a person on the autism spectrum, so it was easy for me to just go, okay, let's make this, like, one of his things is the, Mm -hmm. that is not something that manifests in me, but it is something I know that does manifest in others. So I figured, let's have this subtext thing Mm -hmm. be one of his uh, pain points, let's call it. Okay, okay. And that's also why he falls into research holes so easily they become his new special interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's valid. And, uh, by the way, that is currently being focused into a Pepe Sylvia conspiracy board. I love it. I love a conspiracy board. Uh, it was, it was his, um, oh, what do they call those stupid things that, uh, career people do? Uh, in, like, motivation board? image board yeah it was like a motivational image board and then he flipped the the cork board it was on over and started assembling the conspiracy board as he started researching this monster situation (laughs) inside you there are two wolves exactly (laughs) (sighs) so where where does he kind of go from there where does he go after you know uncovering this Hey, there's kind of pe- there might be people inside these monsters that we're fighting. Uh, so, and here's the kicker: it's only some of them. Oh no! But his first thought was, 
if this can happen to writers who he thinks he thought it could only happen to writers who use a biological power source. Mm-hmm. The writers in our setting use biological, robotic, or magical as their power source. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And since this was a biological writer, one of the, not exactly party, but one of the other players is a, a biological writer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that uh, contract writer Wyvern is her name, and she is a Bathy Oh yeah, I remember you posting pictures of her. It's in in one of the discords that we are both in. <laughs> and so Wyvern is a bat, and his thought was, mm-hmm. "What if she turns into a giant bat?" <laughs> and she's like the most off the grid of all of them. Mm-hmm. So the way he even got into contact with her at first was, uh, there is a it's like an Uber Eats for writers. So if you are a citizen who sees a monster, you can go onto this app and report Mm -hmm. the monster sighting and it will go out to all of the nearest writers and somebody will decide to take the contract. That's, I bet that's a very useful service. And he basically made a false monster report to like, actually get to talk to her. Huh. Okay. He did pay her, though, because honestly, he's a very nice boy. He's just been fed very bad lies his whole life. Oh, no, Rocher. I'm so sorry to hear that. He's kind of a he's kind of a prat, but you know, which is a word I just like using because it sums up that very specific Draco Malfoy emotion. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. So he he was he like showed her. It was a conspiracy binder at this point. He shows her the binder and he's like, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to turn into a giant bat. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) But that was how we got their story started. And they are proving to be very intertwined as things move along. Aww. And not romantically, but. Well, yeah, but still. Weird destiny stuff is happening. Ooh, I can, I can appreciate a good destiny. And it's weird destiny stuff that plays into Golgum's prophecy system. Oh no, I am less excited now. In Common Rider Black, Golgum sets up the hero and his, like, foster brother, both of whom were born under a solar eclipse, has them turned into cyborgs, because that's just a theme in the Showa era, but he ends up having to fight his foster brother who Uh is called uh, Shadow Moon. And Kamen Rider Black is referred to by Golgum as the Black Sun. Hmm. And recently, those two terms have been showing up a lot. Interesting, okay. Completely derived context, though. Our characters have no idea about any of this Mm -hmm. Black Sun, Shadow Moon stuff. And in fact, like it was first heard when Wyvern fought a group of cultists who call, who said oh the shadow moon prophecy of course it would be you and then they let her go on her way hmm. and when she talked to Roger about if he'd ever heard of it because you know his mom's like the Golgum high priestess it turns out yikes uh, she's like have you ever heard of something called shadow moon and his belt 
voice sample style spits out the phrase Black Sun. It is not programmed into the belt. It's like somebody Microsoft sammed those words out of his belt's voice board. Huh. Which I think is really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That That is very interesting. So we're going to see how that all ends up shaking out. I really hope it turns out well. Uh, I have plans, and I hope they do well. So so say we all, Brendan. So say we all. The mood of table topping. Exactly. But the biggest turning point for Roger's character was a warehouse fight, because they often are in company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the main, like, figurehead of Elysium City as a whole is the common writer. As in C-O-M-M-O-N? Exactly. Okay, okay. And the common writer is a very generically designed common writer. The story is that he wanders the wastes outside of Elysium in hopes of starting to reclaim more land. And fighting the horrible, irradiated, outback wildlife. Oh, God. Because, like, we nobody knows what's outside the dome, but I know. I know there's some evil kangaroo people out there. I mean, absolutely would not surprise me. It's Australia. Everything already it's wants Australia. to kill you. <laughs> yes. So give it a couple thousand years of weird solar radiation. Or a couple hundred years of weird solar radiation. I'm expecting giant bugs, and I'm not going to be very happy if they happen. Yeah, same. Actually, we have to go back. Okay. Back to the, the um, well, the murder thing that happened. Yes. So this was also a defining moment that took him a step towards the wrong side of things. Oh, no. So there was a figure who was spoken of sort of in like a like a folk hero who was Lone Rider Ringo. <laughs> it's very good, isn't it? He's a cowboy. Yes. He is a scorpion themed cowboy. Now though I'm just like picturing like Ringo Star holding an apple in a cowboy in a cowboy hat with like a common rider buckle on his belt. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't remember if we've... I don't remember what he looks like. Uh, he only showed up the once. Yeah. But there was a distress call at one of the stations that holds up the barrier of, like, the dome itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all of our characters ended up responding to it. Except Papillon was not there, and neither was Dolman, who is the mine character. His defining drama, as it turns out, is uh, he left the mines under not great circumstances, which left his ex very, very, like, bitter about it all. Woof. And Roger, uh, post, uh, post-character development, did go with Dolman to the mines to help him talk to his ex-girlfriend. Well, that's very nice of Roger. Because <laughs> he's the, in D&D terms, he's the party face. Like once yeah. everybody is acting as a as a unit more or less, he's the one who takes the lead in talky situations. Yeah, that tracks, that tracks. Mr. Influencer. Yeah, he's an influencer and he was you know, he was legitimately trained to be a public relations person. So he does have like the natural charisma and the training to 
talk his way out of most things. Okay, okay. But, uh, so Lux goes into these spooky, spooky tunnels under the generator system. He finds Ringo, the person, is uh, doing a diva talks. He has set up bombs and is going to explode this barrier station in hopes of bringing down the whole dome. Okay. Which would, in turn, expose everybody to, you know, the outside. Yes, to what they think is terrible amounts of radiation and death. Well, radiation is a minor concern. It's more the... So the the absolutely uncontrolled, like, heat waves, wind storms, sand storms, all of that would get you before the radiation does. Mm-hmm. And so Lux starts fighting him. Yeah. And... Halfway through the fight, who shows up but his mother? Uh-oh. Because she's the one who sent him on this mission to begin with. Yeah. And from what I remember, she was like, I just want to make sure that I know you're going to follow through with what I told you to do. And, and now she shows up all, hello, sunny boy, it's time for murder. Exactly. Oh, no. And uh, important thing to note is that she was Soleil Dor's former writer. Hmm. Which is why Roger is the writer now. That's the nepotism angle. Yeah, that tracks, that tracks. Uh, she was contra-writer Fleur, and she was flower-themed. Okay. So she ends up transforming during this fight. But there's something not quite right about her suit. It's not the way Roger remembers it looking in all of the pictures. And all of the merchandise. Like, there's just something a little scary about it. Yeah. And long story short, after uh, Ringo is incapacitated and uh, the other two characters, Wyvern and Java... Java is a robotic source contract writer who is coffee-themed, and they make all of their own gear. Ooh, nice. They are a very enthusiastic muffin. I love them. I would die for them. (laughs) We all love Java in our group. Valid. But uh, they they gave him a very scorching burn, like a scorching like speech, like a little hero speech without even meaning to. Aw. It was a very good moment. But Java was around long enough to see the finishing blow. Of the... Of Ringo. When he uh, was... As in Lux taking out Ringo, or Lux's mom taking out Ringo? Fleur, I guess. It was both. Pseudo-Fleur. It was a little bit of both. Hmm. Uh, Like any good flower monster person, she has very sharp thorny minds. Yeah. That are also whips and swords. Of course. Because I am nothing if not a person who loves whip swords. (laughs) So that is the driving conflict between Lux and Java, is that Roger feels Ringo's death was justified because it could have just, he would have destroyed the dome and killed everybody in Elysium. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Java says, we had already started disarming the bombs. There was no need to. Yeah. So that's their personal conflict. Okay. And and then how did this affect Roger? Ringo's death led to him being like lauded about as a hero. He's the, he's the one who can do no wrong. Uh, he's mommy's perfect baby boy. He's getting genuine validation from his mother, which he never has before. Oh no! Because he did a because he did a death on a person. Yikes! 
But there was a masquerade, Paper Faces on Parade, masquerade, <laughs> where he was given his super mode. Okay. And that also was conveniently crashed by a monster. So that uh, he could put his super mode to use. Yes, here is your here is your uh, creator described chance to show off your uh, your new toy upgrade. Yes, it's not only buy our new playsets and toys, but it's also <laughs> in universe. It's a way for the public, like the privileged few who are there, because of course it's being attended by most of the upper crust. Yeah, of course, of course. And the assembled writers that, hey, Lux is somebody you shouldn't mess with. Look how powerful he is now. There was a side effect of that Ringo fight, though. Yeah. So Ringo's henshin device is not a belt. His transformation device is a, is a gun. And Persona 3 style, he shoots himself to transform. Okay. Roger gets shot with one of his transformation yeah. And his system is flooded with the scorpion DNA built into Ringo's transformation device because he's a biological writer. Roger yeah. is a magical one. Okay, okay. So the scorpion venom starts doing some funky things to his brain chemistry. Uh-oh. Uh, and that those funky things did include... Uh, preferring dark, cramped spaces, becoming mostly nocturnal. And if he sees a bug, it's on sight. Woof. But that Venom Jolt also did have the effect of making him a little bit more aware. Okay. I feel like that tracks with, like, biological properties of, like, actual Scorpion Venom. Yeah, it... There was a part of him, like, part of his mind that basically was the Scorpion. Animorph style. Ah, Okay. So part of his mind was the scorpion, and that scorpion is what drove the aggression, what made him sensitive to light, preferring, you know, cramped quarters, a little bit more aggressive in general. Well, his mother thought the scorpion venom had been purged from his system. Yeah. Did not know the long, the longer lasting psychological effects it was having. Yeah. And it is that scorpion venom shot that ended up being the key to get him free from Golgum's clutches. Oh, good. I'm... I'm glad that something finally maybe went a little bit more right. <laughs> yep. Because when he was being set up, like they were doing like the physical exams to have him be the next common writer. They were like, they had the belt ready and everything. And because this was, you know, all of those traits were also making him a more obvious villain. Uh, and the stuff uh, clearly involved in the shady goings down. Yeah. Uh, Dolman, Java, and Wyvern were going to, well, I think they were just straight up said they were going to kill him at some point. Woof. This fight, he is in his super mode. He is fighting the other three riders, and his mother is holding off Wyvern, who, again, has gone into a laser-focused state of trying to destroy her, because, you yeah. know, she's the obvious villain here. And the very key phrase that she uses is pick up that belt and transform. It's what you were born to do. To, uh, she says that to Lux? To Roger? Yes, to put on the new common Rider belt and transform, not his regular one. Okay, okay. 
And that's when it clicks that, oh, oh, I'm just a tool. I'm not actually a person. I'm just, I'm just your pretty little doll to play dress up with and also commit horrible atrocities for the sake of your ego. Oh, no. And that causes his super mode to corrupt. And what was once Lux Soleil d'Or. I I remember this moment like it was yesterday. It was so good. So the the belt, like the rose that forms that transformation trinket, like it turns black and the edges frost over with rusted copper. Because his his base form is copper themed. Soleil d'Or is gold Mm -hmm. themed. Mm-hmm. But all the gold flakes away. It's like black steel, and then the rose frosts over with that thing. And his belt says "cast off," which is a common rider thing from uh, Kabuto. Okay, okay. The suit explodes into a new form that is all black and oxidized copper. Interesting. Okay. And the belt says, "The people have spoken. The revolution will not be civilized." Lux Miserable. <laughs> oh, that's good. I know. I thought of Lux Miserable as a bad joke very early on. Uh huh. And then I was like, and the GM was even like, Brandon, you can't just say these things. <laughs> and I was like, oh. The GM said, you can't say these things and not give me fodder to do something with it. <laughs> and I said, oh, you just you wait. Just you wait. And everybody <laughs> screamed. <laughs> and um that is actually it caused the scorpion venom to like drain out of the system too the scorpion venom was like nah i'm done here i'm good dude well and he heard like in his head as that venom leaked out like i think you'll be good from now on kid oh like it was we didn't want ringo to have a full-on cyber ghost yeah but because i thought that was where we were going and the gm's like i'll throw him this bone to me specifically. <laughs> but that has started Lux into being a revolutionary. He is now Good. Lux Miserable. The wool has been pulled back from his eyes, and he is ready to do whatever it takes to get rid of Golgum. And we are about to, uh, next session, track down somebody who is responsible for a teenage writer turning into a monster. Ooh. Okay, okay. And Roger is also currently on his way to getting a boyfriend. Aw, good for him. We have been joined on this adventure by a professional wrestler writer, contract writer Heracles, who is a Hercules beetle, you see. Yep, that fits, that fits. And um, so that's what I'm really hoping to do with Roger is, you know, take that revolution theme and the how far are you willing to go, actually? Like, where's the line? Because you've crossed it before when you were a bad guy. And now that you're a hero, are, do you still have it in you to cross that line if you need to? Yeah. And what, what is when is it necessary to cross that line? Mm-hmm. Because it's important to note that the weapon in his new, in Lux Miserable, is the guillotine cleaver. <laughs> uh, and it is a two-handed sword that is also a whip. Because I am, again, very on point with whip swords. Hey, I, look, the I feel like the thing is when you're doing Common Rider slash Power Ranger slash 
fun superhero things. You, why not just like lean right into it? You know. Oh, we're so hard in the paint. Good. In fact, I'm very glad to hear that. One of our players has said his favorite thing. The one who plays Dolman, uh, he said that his favorite thing about all of us is that we tend to come up with designs and concepts that are actually very workable for a TV show. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. And I think that's actually really cool. Theater of the Mind, the only thing that has happened is we fight big CGI monsters more often than a regular writer would. Mm-hmm. Because we don't have to worry about designing, and <laughs> designing, modeling, and rigging those. You don't have a special effects budget to worry about. Exactly. That's, that's, that's very good, Brandon. Oh, uh, can I tell you my other favorite thing I did for Roger? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, real quick. So he has, like any modern writer, he has a few forms he can shift into. Mm-hmm. And one of them is uh, titanium. They're all jewelry materials. <laughs> the jewel materials he has are copper, which is his base form. Uh, silver, which is his uh, fast, shooty form. And titanium, which is the big punchy. Okay, okay. But the thing about Roger is he is not a very imposing man. He's a very scrawny boy. Yes. So when he goes into titanium, the armor does its best to make him look larger and more imposing. <laughs> like, it's all just, like, hollow metal, making him look like he's a big muscle man. Aw, that's fun. And he has oversized punchy gloves, because why not? Why not? That's the That's my theory of Lux, is why not? my theory of tabletop characters is this why not be as self-indulgent as you want as long as nobody at the table objects Mm -hmm. run what you want to do by them and if nobody complains about it or has any like and like take all notes into account and then just do what you want it's your character have fun with it i think that's very true play with all the tropes you want yeah. Tropes aren't bad. They're there for a reason. Absolutely. Which is why I made a Zuko. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So this is probably a good point um, to ask then the last question uh, for today, which is, why do you love Roger so much? I love Roger so much because he is the first tabletop character I've ever gotten to play. Really? He is the first character I have ever... I have rolled a lot of characters in my day. Yeah. I have tons of character sheets saved up because, oh, that's a fun concept. I like this subclass in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Let's make us. Let's make something for it. Yeah. But this was the first one who was not made in isolation. He was made very specifically to go with this group of people, who mm-hmm. most of whom did not like him. Now he's on mostly neutral ground with all of them. Yeah. And just that I like playing around with the idea of villains who do not actually know they're villainous. Yeah. A villain who thinks they're the hero is more interesting. And especially when they genuinely think they're a hero. Mm-hmm. Not That's somebody very true. Not somebody who's deluded themselves into this, but somebody who's been who's been deluded into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. The the unwitting villain. Exactly. That's why I love Roger, because he's he's a character that's so much more than most people would think. If he was actually on a TV show, people would love him or hate him right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. 
And I really want to capture that Prince Zuko quality, actually, <laughs> of a redemption that's well done and not that slapdash. Mm-hmm. That's very true. A paradox is the other thing that goes a lot into him. <laughs> so Peridot, Prince Zuko, Draco Malfoy. That's a good combination. But that's that's my baby. Yay! Well, I'm very thank you very much for uh, coming on today to uh, to talk about Roger Brendan. It, I enjoyed hearing about him. Good. I'm and about the entire Common Writer game. Maybe maybe if anyone else in the game is interested in podcasting, we we could hear about it from their perspective because that'd be fun. Yeah, you know what? I am going to link this episode to them, so I will also like say that. You might be interested in hearing about <laughs> Dolmen or Java or Papillon or Wyvern. Yeah. And I think they should do it because they're all great characters. <laughs> okay, so this is the part of the episode where you get to plug stuff. So what would you like to plug or shout out or promote, Brendan? So I would like to promote my podcast. I am one half of the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where my best friend Tess and I go through and are planning on watching every single episode of the Italian Magical Girl series from 2004, Winx Club. <laughs> nice. We uh, very recently finished season one. We just recorded a special episode about the Dutch musical theater show from 2006. Oh, that sounds delightful. And because it comes out tomorrow, instead of moving to season two, we are about to start a special mini series for the Netflix live-action adaptation, Fate the Winx Saga. Is that the grungy one that just, that, like, everyone was like, oh my god, this looks terrible? Yes, it is. We're very excited. Godspeed. Uh, and, oh, uh, Twitter, we are at Magic Winks Pod. That is W-I-N-X marks the spot. I can't believe I did that. I hate myself. <laughs> uh, we are on um, pretty much all of the podcatchers. Uh, we're hosted on Podbean, but we're also on uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, uh, mm -hmm. which is actually how I listen to your show as well. Oh, neat! Glad to hear it. But yeah, I am. Uh, I am very glad. Uh, I'm very glad to hear all about that. And now it's time for me to go into my outro. The Humphrey Widow Seas is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found through Acast and your local podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is Violet by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at waywardocpod at gmail.com. And I do have uh, at least the next guest planned out for who's going to be on Wayward, but if you are interested in being on the show... Uh, please feel free to uh, submit a character through the Google form that is linked, uh, that is actually the pinned tweet on the Twitter account, and I promise that I will do my best to get in touch with you about being on the show. And if you are interested in joining our Discord, I believe there should be an invitation link somewhere on the Twitter page, and if it's not on there, then check the Twitters for our sibling podcasts, Not If I Reboot You First, Loser Like Me, and Faithful. Uh, and 
It's been a very long January, y'all, so the current events blast is just going to be please continue to wear your masks and distance as much as you can. If you have a chance to get the coronavirus vaccine, please do. Please communicate to your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, etc. How, how good of an idea it is to get the vaccine, um, because that's going to help out everyone, themselves included. Um, or, or tell them that it'll give them superpowers or something. Just what, whatever works to get uh, more global health out. <laughs> it's been a very long day and I'm tired. <laughs> um, uh, and as of course, as always, this is a podcast and it is incredibly helpful if you can rate and review us on your listening platform of choice. Because it helps us to find more guests and a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been Home for Raywood OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. So he ran into my knife ten times. <laughs> Whatever you were drinking just made a very fun noise. Oh, it was, that was the noise of me laughing through my nose into the straw of my water cup. <laughs> yeah, that was a very fun noise. Thank you. I tried. There are, in our world, certain places that seem to draw on the strange. Tragic news on this, the first day of school in Chillhaven, as a local teen has been found dead, under what authorities are describing as mysterious circumstances. The unusual. So sleeping is difficult, because I don't blink, so... Oh my god. The monstrous. <laughs> and then he vomits out his whole skeleton onto his desk. What? And when you were a hip, young teen, coming of age in one of these locations... So I'm, like, walking, trying to, like, subtly unzip my hair out of my backpack. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you are an aspiring scientific genius. What do they fluctuate, Zeke? Molecules? A burgeoning telekinetic. I think you have telekinetic powers. That's so specific for you to say right now. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Or a social media influencer. Can he please just take his shirt off? Because that's he's got lunch on his shirt. Your safety is not guaranteed. So that is a complete failure. (laughs) (laughs) What happens to my car? In these dangerous times at Chill Haven High.